Thank you for joining us today for the Restoration Church podcast. This is the seventh in our United series, and it is called Put Off and Put On. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to Restoration Church. Just online or on Facebook, my name is Will Holland. I'm one of the pastors here. We're in a series called United as we're studying the book of Ephesians. And today we're going to be in chapter 4, verses 17 through 32. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn to that, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 32. Uh, Over the past couple of weeks in this series on Ephesians, we've learned what God has done for us and who we are in Christ, that we were once dead, um, we were once enslaved to sin, we were alienated and separated from God, and then because of God's great grace, because of his great love for us, he made a way to unite us with himself, to make us alive in Christ, to free us from the enslavement and the burden of sin, to lift us up into the throne room give us a new position in the heavenly places where we are no longer alienated from God, but we are connected with him. He is in us and we are in him. Uh, our salvation is both individual and corporate. There was, there was a, there, an individual expression of faith and then Christ is corporately bringing us together into one temple, right? We just, we just sing that. We are the stones you are piecing together for your habitation. The idea that God is, is building his church, his body, his temple, his dwelling place on earth, by the power of the gospel, through the obedience of Christ, we have been brought in to his family, right? The dividing walls have been conquered. There, there are no longer racial divisions that, that should separate us. There are no longer um, petty things that should keep us apart, laws and religion. But now, in Christ, we are one. We are a new nation. We are a new people, a new race, a new humanity. There are Jews, there are Gentiles, there are Christians. And those are those hidden in Christ. Last week, Lance taught us that one of the things that we can pursue or that we should pursue is unity in the spirit and the bond of peace. And we talked about how the church has been built and equipped with individuals, but and corporately we are gifted in order to protect the unity of spirit and the bond of peace. But saying you want the unity in the spirit and the bond of peace is one thing. Having it is a totally different thing, right? I think if you've been in church at any point in your life, you know sometimes there's a lack of unity. Sometimes there's a lack of peace. So the question is, why is that the case? Why are the churches of America, why are the churches of the world divided um, internally and externally? Why Why are we always at war with one another in a lot of ways? Why are the interpersonal relationships not always at peace in the room? Well, the answer is pretty simple. Paul's going to talk about it today, and it's, it's, an, it's an aspect of walking in who we used to be. Um, when, who, who's the greatest risk to the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace? Who's the greatest risk? Rachel raised her hand. So if everybody's wondering, it's Rachel. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So everyone, take your, take your right hand and put your thumb up. Take your left hand and put your thumb up. Now smile and answer this question. Who's got two thumbs and smiling right now? This guy, right? You. You are the greatest risk to the unity of the bond of peace, the unity and spirit of the bond of peace in the church. You are the biggest risk to the unity and peace in your family, in your marriage, with your kids, at work, at school. No matter where you are, you are the greatest risk to the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Why? I mean, if, if all these things we just learned about beforehand in, in Ephesians 1 through 3 and then chapter 4, 1 through 
16, if, if those are all true, if, if we've been changed internally, why is it that we are such a great risk to our unity, to our peace in this world, in our interpersonal relationships, and even in our peace with God? What is it? Well, Paul talks about it um, by using the illustration of getting dressed. He talks about putting on your clothes, putting on and putting off. So up here you're going to see a couple pictures, right? There's a firefighter, police officers, there's a chef. Whenever you see someone dressed in a uniform, how you're dressed sets certain expectations, right? Um, you would not come to me for financial advice, right? Because I would be wearing, you know, Nike shorts and a t-shirt probably and some, and some, some tennis shoes. You're not going to be like, that guy knows how to invest money, right? The expectations are very low, right? But when a firefighter puts on a uniform, you expect them to go and put the wet stuff on the red stuff, right? I mean, like, there's an expectation. They're going to put that fire out. They're going to solve that problem with, the, with your vehicle. They're going to they're come and pull that cat out of the tree. When the police officer puts on their uniform, the way they dress, there's an expectation of they're going to act justly, right? They're going to obey the speed limit. <laughs> Sorry. Um, they're, they're going to, to care for and protect and serve the citizens of the city. There's an expectation for them. That guy with the chef hat, there's an expectation he's going to make really good pizza, right? I mean, that's what everyone was thinking, right? It wasn't like filet mignon or a good salad. You were thinking about pizza, weren't you? I was. Whenever I see a chef, I'm like, you should make good pizza. And that's, it's the standard for good chefing, right? Let me give you an example. If you see me put on rubber gloves, what are your expectations of me right now? I'm going to go clean something up, right? Right? I mean, like, something's messy, and I need gloves for it. I'll take it a step further. <laughs> now, that's if you see me put on a mask. I'm changing a diaper. What if I throw a stethoscope around my shoulders? My physician? No, you know me. You're right. I'm not a physician. If I have a stethoscope, you're like, well, I've got certain expectations. This guy should be able to listen to my lung sounds or, and, or hear my heartbeat and know what that means or be able to use that for some reason to entertain kids, spy through walls. What if I put this vest on? Does it change the expectations of what you, what you have for me? You see that star of life or that big EMS? And you're not expecting me to come deliver your mail, right? You're wanting me to come deliver your baby. It's a little different, right? What we wear, how we dress, how we prepare ourselves for success in life, in business, or even in the kingdom of God matters. And Paul's going to talk today about, to us about how we get dressed in order to be successful in maintaining the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. How do we maintain peace in our homes? How do we maintain peace with our kids? How do we walk in this newness of life that Christ has given us? What do you, what do you think it... Why do you think it's so difficult for us to maintain peace? It's, it's difficult because we put on our old nature. We wake up every day or in the different scenarios that present themselves, we put on the old nature. We put on the selfishness, the flesh. We put on the dece deceitful desires. We put those things on, and then we try to go out and be at peace with one another. And as Zach says to me often, Daddy, that's not a good idea, right? Apparently, I have a lot of bad ideas. Um, it just doesn't work. Attempting to live our new lives clothed in our, in our old self just doesn't work. It's impossible. 
So it's simple, yet it's very difficult if we're not vigilant to walk in the newness of who we are. So let's explore the differences between the old self and the new self theologically, and then we're going to look at them practically. How how does it flesh itself out to walk in the newness of life? All right, so verse 17 says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, but in the futility of their minds. All right, so Paul's going to talk about our minds, the way we think, the way we process life, the way we interpret what's happening to us. And he, and he gives two different things. He says, walk as the Gentiles and then walk in the newness of mind, right? A new mind re, um, redeemed by the Spirit. So here's the first one, the futility of mind. I want to say it's interesting that Paul's admonition to them is don't walk like the Gentiles walk. Who are these people that he's written, written this letter to? They're ex-Gentiles, right? There's an assumption here that their lives have drastically changed, that they no longer identify themselves as who they were, right? There's an assumption when Paul is saying, you've you've just heard me give this great explanation of what Christ has done for you and called you to be like him. And so now I'm assuming that you got that and you no longer identify yourself as a Gentile, as as a pagan, as a worshiper of false idols, but now you are a follower of Jesus. So don't walk like those Gentiles, who you once were, but are no longer. There's a new identity that Paul is affirming here. He's saying, you're not Gentiles. You're new. You're something totally different. What is the futility of the mind? Futility of the mind means that their thoughts are without purpose. They're without kingdom purpose. They're focused on temporal things. They're focused on things of pleasure and passion of today. They're fleeting. It's nothing that lasts. The futility of the mind is focused in this life. It's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. It's humanism. It's self-fulfillment. That is the futility of mind. Why are their minds so futile? Why are their thoughts so purposeless? Well, Paul explains it. Verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous, and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Simply put, they walk in the futility of their mind because they have rejected the gospel. They've rejected Jesus. They have heard of Jesus. They've heard of what Jesus has done, but they have decided to reject it. So the first thing he says is they are darkened in their understanding because of the ignorance that is within them. Right? What is the opposite of darkness? Light. Christ is the light. Christ is the truth. Christ is the one who enlightens our minds to what is really going on in the world. He gives us an eternal perspective. He helps us see history through a different lens. But if we reject Christ, if we reject the cross, then our understanding of what is happening today, when we're in struggles, when we're suffering, in our personal relationships, at work, in our nation, in the world, it's all darkened. It's ignorant to the reality of what God has done in history. And when our... When our when our focus is so narrowed down and so dark, it leads to a hardening of our hearts, a callousness. So Paul talks about that. He says that we are, we are dark, we are, our hearts are hardened and insensitive to the Spirit of God, calloused, right? They, they, they are creating the image of God. God is constantly prompting those who walk in the old life to, to live in the reality of who he's calling them to be by faith. But 
they're callous to it. They're hard to it, right? They feel the presence of the Spirit convicting them, but they, give in to the con- they, they don't give in to the conviction. They reject it, and they pursue their self, right? So there is callousness and hardness of heart. God is graciously and lovingly prompting them and calling them away from sin and death, but they have no other option but to pursue it, wholeheartedly pursue greed and pride and every practice of impurity. They're given over to the power of the flesh. They're con- convinced that, uh, they're convicted, but they do not submit. So whenever a desire comes up, they follow it. See, I'm, I'm using the word they, but let's, let's change the word to we. Right? Are there areas of your life where desires come up and you're prompted and you know I'm not supposed to be doing this. The Holy Spirit is calling me away from this, but yet you do not submit to the prompting of the Spirit, and there's a little part of your heart that's callous towards that, towards that admonition. There's a little part of your heart that just says, yeah, but you'll forgive me later. I'll do it anyway. See, there, we walk in this. It's not a they and us. It's a we. This is the temptation to constantly have our heart numb and not sensitive to the prompting of the Spirit. Constant temptation. And if our, if our hearts are numb, if our hearts are hardened, if our, if our understanding of the world is darkened because we reject Christ in certain areas of our lives, whether we reject His Lordship over our identity or over our business practices or our sexuality or our dating relationships or whatever it is, the area of Lordship that we reject, and our hearts are darkened, when they're hard and they're calloused, and we have no other option but to be corrupted through the deceitful desires. Look at verse 22. Put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupted through deceitful desires. What does that mean to be corrupted through deceitful desires? They're corrupted because the flesh rules the spirit. Right? When we, when we come to faith... We, have, we, we now have these two options. There's a dichotomy in us. There's the Spirit of God battling for our submission, and then there's our flesh battling for our submission. Right? I like to describe it as two dogs. One is a raging bulldog, right? Slobbering, wants to kill you, rip your face off. And one is a teeny little chihuahua yipping in the corner when we come to faith, right? And let's say that the chihuahua is the Spirit. He's there now. He's yipping, and we've got to decide who we're going to feed. You get one bowl of food every day, and you either get to feed the flesh, or you get to feed the spirit. And whichever one you don't feed starves. Whichever one you don't feed, you become callous to. Begins to die. Right? So if you don't feed the spirit, that yipping gets quieter. Your heart becomes callous to it. And you give in to the passions of your flesh. But if you don't feed the flesh, the flesh begins to die. The spirit begins to get stronger. Till Chihuahua grows into a great name. It's physically impossible. But this is an illustration, so it doesn't matter. Right? And, and the Great Dane looks down at this little puny, shriveled up, used to be bulldog. He's like, Roof. You have no power over me. You have no control. I didn't feed you today. I'm feeding the spirit. But if you're if your hearts are darkened, if your heart is insensitive, if your understanding is, is influenced by ignorance. Right? If, if, you're, if you have futile thinking, then what are you doing constantly? We're constantly feeding the flesh. So the desires, the natural desires, the good desires that God has given us begin to climb up our hearts and become ruling desires. 
Our passions, which are God-given, great things, they're good things initially, become ruling things. And when ruling desires, when good desires become ruling desires, they become false gods, become idols. They become things that we pursue and we submit to instead of the lordship of Christ. And therefore, our lives, our hearts, our relationships, our churches, our businesses are corrupted by the deceitful desires. Good desires become deceitful desires, then they become ruling desires. This is stuff that's in us. It's not outside of us. It's not something that Satan does to us. This is, this is what is inside of us. This is the truth of what God's word is saying about you and about me. This is theology. This is God proclaiming the understanding of himself and us. Remember in James chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, it says, But each one of us is tempted when we are carried away and enticed by his own lust. Right? And then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it gives birth to death. This lust, passions, desires within us, deceive us, become ruling desires, and then kill us. This is the old self. When we live this way, clothed in the old way of thinking and speaking and doing, then according to verse 18, this is the reality for us. Verse 18, we are alienated from the life of God. Right? It's, it's not just that we're dying to sin. We're separated from the life that God intended for us to have. We're alienated from the life of God. We miss out on the power that is within us. We miss out on the passions that God has given us for his kingdom. We, we start to be cut off from the relationships that God has given us in the church. Right? Have, you, have you ever known someone who had started to live in the deceitful desires, live in their sin, and they slowly fall out of fellowship? Whether it's intentional or the church pushes them out for some reason, like the fellowship is just broken. We're separated from the life God has designed us for, to be in communion with one another and with himself. We put at risk God's witness and our relationships when we walk in the old self. But the gospel is good news for us. The gospel is the opportunity to put on new clothes. Right? If, if, if the old self is the old stinky gym clothes, right, that's been festering in the laundry for three weeks, would you want to go put that on and then go on a date? Would you want to go put the old stinky gym clothes on and go to work and think you're going to have a good day? No, you wouldn't, right? So the gospel is the good news. The gospel is new clothes every morning. It's an opportunity to clothe yourself with something different, to walk in the newness of self, united with Jesus and with people. Look at verse 20. But this is not the way you learn Christ, to walk in the old self, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. This, this, is, this is how our hearts change from old to new. We understand the gospel of Jesus. We get the truth of who Jesus is. Our theology changes our ethic. Right? As our theology deepens, as we become to know the love and the grace of God, who we are and who he is, as we begin to know his character and what he's designed us for, how he has called us from death to life, as he has freed us from our enslavement to sin and given us a position in his throne room where we have constant access to the throne of God in Christ, how he has knit us together as one temple. When we start to understand and live and walk in that that clear theology laid out in this text in the scriptures, then our ethic changes, our behavior, how we live, what comes out of us changes. We get new clothes. But how? 
how do we get new clothes? Is it because of our own effort? Is it because we seek to learn more? No, it's because God changes us from the inside. Right? Look at verse 23. Right? It says, Put off the old things that are, that are corrupted by the sinful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So when we are in Christ, when we, when we hold on to the reality of, verse, of chapters 1 through 3, and what Christ has done for us, when we hold on to that reality, when we see that is true, and our minds are enlightened, our hearts are not callous, but sensitive to the Spirit, at that point, our minds are renewed by the Spirit of God. Our way of thinking changes. We're not futile in our thinking, now we're kingdom-minded in our thinking. We're others-oriented versus selfish in our thinking. Our way of thinking about the world, about our desires, about our purpose in life has changed. Instead of being darkened, it's enlightened by the power and the presence of the Spirit of the Holy God. Our thoughts are sensitive to the Word and the will of God. In Christ, we make kingdom decisions now. We're not limited to what we think is good for us. We see the full, the scope of history. We see how God is working all things for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And then we start to make our decisions to align our will with His will. We begin to glorify God and do what is good for all mankind. Our minds are transformed by the truth so that we can live in spiritual wisdom. 1 Corinthians 2, 16-18 talks about this concept that is, that is unique to Christians that are not unique that, that, are, that are absent in the lives of those who are apart from Christ. It's called spiritual wisdom. Right? I don't have it up on the screen, so I'm just going to read it for you. Verse 6, However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages of our glory. Or, sorry, before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for if they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the hearts of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the the thoughts of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except through the spirit of God. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that we have been freely given by God, to us by God. We have a spiritual wisdom. We have the ability to have a knowledge that we apply in our lives. Right? This is, this is the new mind transformed by the spirit of God. But the natural man does not receive these things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. In verse 16, for who has known the mind of the Lord that they may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. In Christ, we have the mind of the Spirit of God working in us. We no longer think futilely, we think eternally. We think with kingdom purpose. We make decisions about what will glorify the Father above glorify ourselves. What will bring good to the people around us versus what brings good to me first. 
Our minds are able to shift and change from being ruled by deceitful desires to being put down desires in their proper place, submitted to the lordship of Christ. So the things that we want, the things that are trying to creep up and take over, we can now, through obedience to the Spirit, because we have the wisdom of the Spirit, say that is trying to be a ruling desire in my life. I need to submit it to the throne of Christ. I need to put it down. It's a good desire. It has a place in my life, but it can't become my ruling desire. I can't sin to get what I want. I can't let this lust become sin, and this sin, when it accomplished, bring death. I can put it, to, I can put it down and put it at the feet of Jesus. Are you utilizing this type of thinking? In your every moment of your life, do you think through the wisdom of God? I don't. Confession time. There are plenty of times where I live in my flesh. And I need to put those areas down and walk in the wisdom that God has given me. I put on the old sweaty gym clothes and I try to go live my life as a Christian. When Christ has given me new clothes, a new identity, a new thought, new process. Remember back in the, in the, in the 90s, there was a big fad, right? It was, it was a fad that tried to help us change the way we think, to use the wisdom of God. It was on everything, right? Bookmarks, slap bracelets, clip bracelets, pendants, keychains. I think there was a WWJD Bible, Right, WWJD was plastered everywhere. It was the corniest marketing scheme in Lifeway's history. It was everywhere. You couldn't get anything that didn't have, I mean, like, you get a mug, shot glasses, WWJD, right? It doesn't even make sense. But they put it on everything. And while it was, it was very random and just weird that it just was this fad in Christian life, what it, we can't throw away the baby with the bathwater, so to speak, right? I mean, like, what it was calling us to is to, to change the way we think. To stop walking in the futility of the flesh. To stop walking in the futility of mind in the dark end of our understanding because we're rejecting Christ's lordship in our lives in certain areas. It was calling us to think like Jesus. To use the wisdom of God. Controlled by the spirit of God. And to imitate Christ in every aspect of our life. We could ask the questions, what would Jesus do in my marriage? What would Jesus do with my money? What would Jesus do with that huge project that's on my shoulders at work? What would Jesus have me do in this or that situation, right? If we, if we approached everything in life with that, that, that spiritual lens, in this new mind, this new way of thinking, how much easier would it be to maintain the unity of spirit and the bond of peace? In our marriages, in our relationships, at work. How much easier it would be if, we, if our first thoughts were, what would Jesus do? How would Jesus respond to this hurt? How would Jesus respond to that sin committed against me? How would Jesus affirm or lift up or encourage my brother and my sister and my wife and my kids? What would Jesus desire me to do when I face persecution or am wronged by a friend? Instead of what would I do, instead of being controlled by the old self, what if I put on the new self? And had the mind of Christ. Living out this new reality in Christ that he has secured for me in the gospel. Seeking the good and the glory of my father before myself. What would that look like? How would it change my practice? How would this new theology, this new understanding of God and myself, 
change my ethic? Well, Paul gives us some practical things. He gives us three practical things. The rest of Ephesians 4 is the, is the practicality side of this. It's going to change the way you talk. It's going to change the way you deal with emotions. It's going to change the way you identify yourself. The way you talk, the way you deal with emotions, the way you identify yourself. Verse 25, we get new speech. In the new self, if we put on the new self and start thinking with the mind of God, we speak differently. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. When we speak the truth, we imitate who? God, Jesus. When we speak falsehood, we imitate who? The devil. Right? I mean, one tells the lies all the time. One tells the truth all the time. If we are speaking lies, we're imitating our old flesh, our old Lord, our old master. We speak the truth to one another, we imitate our new Lord, our new master, new self. Let no corrupted talk come from your mouths. This is verse 29. But only that is good for building up as it fits the occasion. And it gives grace to those who hear. Our words have a lot of power. Our words have a lot of influence in people's lives. Remember James told us that with, with a small spark, you can set a forest on fire. With a little rudder, you can move, right? The tongue, the power of the tongue, the ability to move, move mountains with our words, pierce hearts, lift up and build up others. Chapter 3, verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's the perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Our words have such power, such influence. With, the, with this new way of thinking comes the command to use our words to build one another up. But the, the constant problem with our words is that we use them loosely. Because maybe we don't think, what would Jesus say before we speak? We speak out of our flesh sometimes. Right? If you continue in James chapter 3, verse 9. With it, with the tongue, with our words, we bless our Lord and our Father. And with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Let me tell you why it shouldn't be that way. It goes to verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, for whom you were sealed in the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, and along with all malice. What we say and how we use our words are a reflection of what we're thinking. And if we're thinking in the old self, and we're speaking in the old self, and we're using malice and anger and slander, and, and we're speaking negative words to one another, then it grieves the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is in us now, giving us new clothes, a new self, a new thought process to live by, new words to speak, to edify, and to build up, and to affirm. But yet we're choosing to go back to the old and put on the smelly old clothes of death instead of the new clothes in Christ. And it grieves the Holy Spirit of God with whom we sealed for the day of redemption. It grieves him. Last night, I think I grieved the Holy Spirit. Rebecca and I were talking, and we were talking about something on Facebook, and I was being very insensitive. I was just like, well, get over it. I mean, don't put it on Facebook, blah, 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 blah. And Rebecca's like, no, you don't understand. Like, it, it, there, People have a hard time expressing, and I'm like, well, come on, grow up, blah, blah. I'm, I was just being very insensitive. Very harsh, not edifying, not affirming, not giving grace to those who hear in the moment, being insensitive. And later, Rebecca came to me and she's like, Will, you got to check 
the way you're talking. And she, she called me out on it. And that was the Spirit of God prompting her because I had grieved the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced I had grieved the Holy Spirit because I was not walking in the new self. I was walking in the flesh. And the way I was talking, I was totally in selfishness without sensitivity to the hurt of other people around me. And Rebecca, being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, a hundred times more sensitive than I'll ever be in my entire life, her number one gift is empathy, right? <laughs> like, to others and to the Holy Spirit. She gets it. She called me out on it and challenged me. We can grieve the Holy Spirit in the way that we speak. But our actions change also. It's not just in what we say, it's what we do. The most common emotion for all of us is anger, Right? Paul's not an idiot. He knows that. Guess what people struggle with in first century and when they wrote the Bible? I'm going to go with anger, right? It's a common, common feeling, a common emotion. So he talks about this, how our actions change. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Anger is common. We get it. We describe it as something within us, right? It's one of the few emotions that we really admit are sin that comes from within us, right? It boils in us. And it builds up and it builds pressure until it what? Explodes in anger. That's how we describe it. Well, that's probably the most accurate ways to describe a sinful emotion. It's within you. It's not the devil didn't make you get angry. You are angry. You have a sin problem. You have a flesh problem. It boils up and it explodes. Anger is a good thing. Anger was given to us by God. God gets angry, right? But our anger is supposed to be righteous anger. Righteous anger is focused at injustice. God gets angry at injustice. He gets angry at sin. He wants Christians, those who follow with him, to be angry at injustice and sin so that we do something about it. So we don't become flippant about injustice. He wants us to be angry. But anger has its time, and anger that is righteous is always mingled with grief. It it breaks our heart. If anger just demands justice and, and, and causes us to hurt or sin other people, it's not righteous anger. It's flesh anger. Be angry, but do not sin. Imitate the Father. Get angry about injustice. Get angry about sin. But then let that anger grieve your heart to the point where you pray for others, where you ask God to change the, the, the hearts of the people who are committing the injustice, right? Do something about it. But don't let it fester. Right? There's a time to be angry, but that time is short. Right? Don't let the sun go down in your anger. It doesn't literally mean you can't go to bed angry. Right? If there's an injustice that's happening and it happens over a period of days, that's fine. Be angry. What it literally means is don't let your anger turn to bitterness. Don't let it fester in your heart to the point that it becomes embittered towards other people. Because if it's embittered, guess what it is? It's sin. Bitterness is demonic. Bitterness is not of God. It's of the devil. So when we let our anger go for too long, our anger becomes a foothold for Satan where he starts to undo the new clothes. He's like, go ahead and take that off. Go, go ahead and take that other part off. and Lose those new shoes, right? It's a foothold for him to get in and make us walk in our old self versus put on the new self. Be angry, but do not sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger, but give no opportunity to the devil. So as our emotions, our new self, our new way of thinking should affect the way we feel. It should affect our emotions and how we control our emotions. Number two, it controls our identity. Or number three, so it controls our speech, it controls our emotions, it controls our identity. Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands 
so that he may have something to share with those in need. Old clothes are, are, are based in self. New clothes are based in Christ and others, right? Why, what is wrong with the thief stealing? He's committing a sin, right? Because he's selfish. He's taking from others for their own good, the stealing, right? But, but God says, don't steal, work. I've ordained work. I've designed work. Do, do good work. Earn something. What is the biggest sin about stealing? You can't be generous. If you're stealing, you're taking for yourself. You're not giving away. Right? We're not talking about Robin Hood here. We're talking about the fact that there are ways to get there. Three ways to get things. You can steal things to get. That's sin. You can work hard for yourself. That's consumerism or selfishness. Or you can work to get so that you can give. That's called Christianity. Right? God is a generous, good giver. He calls us to be generous, good givers. If we're stealing, we're walking in the old flesh. He's telling you, stop identifying yourself with who you were. Start living in who you are now. Be a generous giver. Work hard so that you can give. That's the new self. So it changes our, our, our speech. It changes our emotions, our identity. These three very practical ways to walk in the new self help us see that our new identity, our, our new the new spirit, the new mind, the new heart that God has given us because of what he's done on the cross, because of what Christ did, not because of what we did, it's completely opposite to the old smelly flesh. And we're to walk in the new. Put off the old and put on the new. Notice that it always starts with the negative. Do not steal. Do not be angry. Or be angry, don't sin. It's, it's, it's one thing to, to not sin. It's another thing to say yes to God. It's one thing to say no to God. There's another thing to say yes to God. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying don't just take off your old self and then magically hope that something will change in your life. You have to intentionally put on the new self. There's, there's, a, there's a command to put on. So imagine if we put on the new self as described here in this text. Just imagine what that would look like. Imagine what the church internally and externally would look like if Christians walked in the new self, not in the old self. Imagine what the bond of unity, uh, bond of, uh, sorry, the spirit of unity and the bond of peace would look like among Christian brothers and sisters across the globe. Secondary and tertiary things wouldn't matter, right? Those, those, those third and fourth level issues that we can disagree on and still have fellowship, they wouldn't become creeping themselves up to becoming primary issues that we fight and we split over. Right, remember, Lance talked to us about the ones, right? Chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The ones, what if, what if the church walked in the new clothes? And the new self, if we put that on, the ones would matter. The ones would rule. Our effectiveness in this world would be exponentially multiplied. If we didn't let third and fourth and even second level things become primary things that we fight over and divide ourselves. Imagine for a second what it would look like in your marriage if you wore the new self every day. How would your disagreements differ? 
with your spouse? How would you argue differently? How would you serve and give to one another selflessly? What, what would you do differently if you were walking in your new self than when you're walking in your old? How would you speak differently? Use your words to affirm and to edify versus to sarcastically tear down here and there just to get your point across and be right. Parents, Will, imagine what it would be like with your kids if you walked in your new self. How would you discipline differently? We don't stop discipline, right? Those who... If you avoid the rod, you hate your child, right? I mean, like, you don't stop discipline, but how would your discipline change? Would, your, would you get angry at your kid, or would you be angry and grieved by their sin? Would it lead you to pray, or lead you to seek this amazing justice right now? I've got, I've got to be right. They're going to submit to me. If you walked in the new versus in the old, how would it change the way you parent? Kids, how would it change the way you look at your parents if you walked in the new self? If you saw your parents as a gift of God to help you understand submission to authority. If you, if you saw your parents as those who are lovingly giving and reflecting the love of Christ to you. How would it change the way we deal with our parents? Imagine what it would look like in our jobs if, our, if we as employees put on the new self every day and we spoke words of edification to our, to our coworkers. If when we're, we're, we're persecuted by our boss or when we're we're put down by other coworkers. We kept our heads up and we thought eternally and not temporally. We didn't seek vengeance, but we forgave and we acted tenderhearted and kind and compassionate to one another. How would your job change? Drivers. Anybody a driver? How would, it, how would your driving change if you put on the new self? I'll leave it at that. <laughs> I'd have to do a lot less cursing under my breath so the kids don't hear me. You know, it's like if I put on my new self, it would change a lot about how I felt about drivers that annoy me. I would, I would be able to pray for them. I would wonder what's going on in their life that they have to drive like that. Why, why is that poor little lady so scared to go over 35 on the interstate? Right? And instead of like, ah, I could be like, ah, I needed to pray for her. I could put my blinkers on and block for her. You know, like, I could change if I put on the new self. I'll tell you that's the last place I'm probably going to put on the new self. I'll just be honest, confess, right? But how would it change our driving? Listen, friends, brothers, sisters, like, you don't have to imagine this. This is not something that's far off to us. It's not something that will never happen. This is something that is very possible. It is very possible because here's the truth. You are no longer dead and enslaved to sin. You in Christ are alive and lifted up. You are no longer alienated from the life of God. You are sitting in the throne room of God in Christ. You are no longer controlled by your flesh. You, you now have the mind of Christ. The wisdom of God revealed to us through the Holy Spirit. These are the truths. When we are in Christ, when we made a confession of faith, when we are Christians... We have new clothing we can put on every single day, every hour, every moment. We don't have to imagine what it would be like. We can just live out the reality of what is it's true. 
Our theology, our understanding of who God says we are and who God is can change our ethic. It can change our speech. It can change our thoughts. It can change our actions. It can mold our identity. You can be a better husband or a better wife. You can be a better father. You can be a better child. You can be a better employee. You can be a better imitator of Jesus because you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you right now. We have to walk in that reality. We have to put on that reality every day. We have to put on that mindset. We have to put on those filters in our speech. We have to put on different actions and control of our emotions. We have to identify ourselves as children of God before we identify ourselves as broken sinners. You can do that right now. It's possible in Christ because he's already done the internal change. Now you just have to walk in it. Remember Paul said, put off your old self and don't walk like the Gentiles do. He was talking to Gentiles. I'm telling you, put off the old self and don't walk like you used to in your flesh. Walk like you are in Christ. Live out the reality Christ has secured for you through his obedience on the cross. And the way we do that is to put on the gospel every day. That's your practicality, right? If you, if you want to know what does it mean to, to put off the old self and put on the new self, right? Not just to put off and then to walk, but to put off and then put on the new. It's to tell yourself the gospel every day. Look at, look at verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Every day. Three times a day, 12 times a day if necessary. Remind yourself of what Christ has forgiven you of. And then in reminding yourself of that cross, of that grave, of that empty tomb, of celebrating the gospel in your memory, put on the reality of who you are now in him. And then walk in it. Submit your emotions to the Lordship of Christ. Submit your identity to the Lordship of Christ. Submit your speech to the Lordship of Christ. Take captive every thought and then filter it through the wisdom of God under the Lordship of Christ. Put on the gospel. Put off the old. Put on the new. Let's pray.